Good morning, church. It's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning, isn't it? Good morning to those of you who are also joining us via live stream or if you're watching later on demand. We are so thankful that you've chosen to join us this morning. Like, like Nate said, my name is Chris Stevenson. I, I am no one here. I am uh, not on the staff or anything. I'm just a member here at Vero Christian Church. Our, our senior minister, Steve Jones, in the, the early, early hours of the morning yesterday morning, hurt his tongue. And so, <laughs> and so uh, we're, we're going to pray for Steve's recovery, and I'm sort of pinch-hitting this morning. And uh, if you are a guest here this morning, please, please, please make sure you come back next weekend too. I promise you'll be blessed by the message from, from the stage. Please do not judge the preaching here by my sermon this morning. So those of you who do know me know that I lived the first 24 years of my life in Texas. I'm from Texas. It's why I like Dr. Pepper so much. It's why I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan because that's, that's what I, I grew up with. And I, I realized something the other day. I realized that I've been gone from Texas for more than 10 years, more than a decade I've been out of Texas. And I realized this because I realized I have forgotten how to speak I used to could say the term used to could about 30 times a day, and now I will go weeks at a time without saying it. It's like I've forgotten how to speak. <laughs> but, uh, but seriously, church, one of the things I miss most about Texas are the trees. Now hear me, I'm not saying there aren't nice uh, trees here in Florida. We have beautiful palm trees, beautiful sunsets, beautiful beaches, and uh, much, much more beautiful than Texas. In fact, the place where my wife and I met in Abilene, Texas, I think that might be where God ran out of ideas. It's very flat there. You can watch your dog run away for days. But I do, I do miss the trees, especially around this time of year. And I, I want to talk about trees some this morning. Let's get some audience participation. By a show of hands, who here has put up a Christmas tree this year? Okay, very good. Now, this is a judgment-free zone. Leave your hand up if you, if you put your tree up before Thanksgiving. Okay, we have some. I, I did it. My family did it like during Hurricane Nicole. We were very early in November, put our, put our tree up. And I, I want to I talk about Christmas trees this morning. I would love it if this sermon this morning gave us a, a new way to talk about the Christmas story. But also... The Christian story. We'll be able to look at the Christmas trees in our living rooms and talk about what God is doing in the world today. Have you ever wondered where the tradition of Christmas trees comes from? There's a, uh, there's a comedian that I like named Jim Gaffigan, and he's got a funny bit about imagine being the wife of the first man who put up a Christmas tree. You come downstairs and there's a pine tree in your, your living room and she might say, honey, why is there a pine tree in the living room? And he would say, don't worry, I also put trinkets all over it and I did that for Jesus. <laughs> you might have some questions, right? Well, I'm glad you asked. What are Christmas trees really about? Well, in Northern Europe in the 15th century, in the early 1400s, it was the darkest, coldest time of the year. And these, these Christians, they lived without electricity and with the, without heating. 
And they would bring a pine tree into their homes every year because it wasn't dead. And it reminded these, these 15th century Christians that, that spring was right around the corner and that God was faithful to them every single year. And over the centuries, we've incorporated that into our celebration of Christmas. Because what is Christmas? It's the ultimate reminder for us of God's faithfulness. And as far as symbols go, I think trees are a really good one. Because when you read the Bible, the Bible is the story of what God is doing, and, and he's doing it, and I'm convinced the setting is, is, is in between three different trees. If you're new to Christianity, the way the Bible starts off is God makes the world, and he says it's good. And he takes Adam and Eve, and he puts them in a garden, and there is no uh, poverty or depression or death. And look at the first word God says to humans in the Bible. Genesis 2, starting in verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So when God says there, you are free to eat from any tree in the Bible, in the original Hebrew it actually says the word eat twice. He's saying, eat, eat. It's like some of the grandmothers at Thanksgiving saying, put some meat on your bones. Because one of the things Genesis is trying to do is it's trying to show us how good God is. And God is telling Adam and Eve to enjoy creation. But I think the problem that we have when we read this story sometimes is we immediately focus on, well, why doesn't God want them to eat off of that one tree? Why didn't he let them eat off of that one tree? They have this whole garden, but we always focus on that one, one tree. And as a side note, do we not do that in our own lives? No matter who we are or what we have, do we not find ourselves sometimes focusing on, on what we don't have or sometimes focusing on what God has given other, other people? That's just something I think we should think about this Christmas season. So, did you know that all three of the world's largest religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, all have this story in the, the Garden of, of Eden in them? And there's not a lot that we have in common with those other religions, but, but one of the things that all three of these religions say is that the first temptation man had was to think that God was not for us. The first temptation that, that mankind had, and that some of us still have and still struggle and wrestle with today even, is to think that God was against us. And most of us know this story. We know what happens. Adam and Eve, they listen to the snake and they think God is against them. And they eat from the tree. And then God shows up and they're like, whoa, give us a second to put on some clothes. And then God says some stuff. And if you're not careful, when you, you hear what God says, you think he's like an old man in the sky with a thunderbolt ready to hurt someone. But I, today I want us to hear it with fresh ears. Genesis 3, starting in verse 14. So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. 
It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So church, it's pretty apparent that all of creation has changed after the first tree. The world is broken now. And, and the word that the story uses for that is, is the word curse. But the ancient civilizations, the first ones to hear this story, they didn't view it as God cursing Adam and Eve. Did you, did you hear who God actually cursed in that story? It says he curses the ground and the snake. Okay? Um, he isn't punishing them. He's observing the way reality has changed because of their choices. He's not, he's not punishing them. God, to curse someone means to wish evil upon them. That's not who God is in this story. God loves Adam and Eve. He's observing the way reality has changed because of their choices. All right? God is not the cause of evil or suffering or, or the pain that we have in the world today. He gave Adam and Eve a choice, and because of their choice, great evil has entered the world. And we are reminded of this with every sore back that we get, every migraine, every time we hurt our tongue, every divorce, every bad medical diagnosis, every war that is fought, every funeral that we go to. The world is dripping with the consequences of the first tree. But thank God for the gospel, right, church? Because the gospel reminds us that God wants the restoration of this world. Uh, turn to the Gospel of Luke, please. Remember, in, in Luke, uh, Jesus is baptized, and then he's led into the wilderness where he's tempted by who? By the snake, yeah. And uh, now that temptation doesn't work, but there's this bizarre verse in Luke 4.13 where it says, When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left Jesus until an opportune time. So we're going to fast forward to that opportunity that Satan was waiting for. Luke 22, verse 3. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. So the devil enters Judas. And some theologians have called this the shots fired that would lead to the biggest war the world has ever known. And I'm going to skip, I'm going to skip down to verse 30 where Jesus is talking to his disciple Simon Peter. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So I find it interesting that during Jesus' last meal with his disciples, he brings Satan up. He brings Satan into the picture. And he says, Simon, Satan wants to to destroy you. He wants to shake you until you fall apart. But I love, he says, I have prayed that when you turn back, you will strengthen your brothers. So I want everyone to hear this this morning. We have all made mistakes in the past. And unfortunately, we're probably going to make some in the future as well. And Jesus saw Peter's failure coming. He saw it coming a long ways before Peter did. Peter is still there saying, oh no, Jesus, I'd go to death for you. And Jesus says, buddy, the day isn't even going to end before this failure happens. But, but Jesus also sees a future past Peter's failure. He sees a restored version of Peter because he knows what he's about to do at the cross. He knows he's going to cover Peter's past, present, and future sins. He sees a restored version of Peter because of the cross. 
And that's the same thing he, we, can, we can say about ourselves too. Jesus was praying for Peter's faith and he prays and loves, he prays for us and loves us too. He, he knows we can have that type of faith. He sees a restored version of how we can be if we have that faith he was talking to Peter about. Jesus knows some of us have done things in the past and some of us are currently involved in sin and we're trying to get out of it. And Jesus prays for and loves us too. And I don't know about you, but I find that very encouraging. So after, after the Last Supper, they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Has anyone been there before? Okay, yeah, we got some, some, got some, some people. So um, it says, this is what Jesus prays in the Garden. Verse 41, it says, He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. And then a little while later, it says, While he was still speaking, a crowd came up, and the, the man who was called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He approached Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to the chief priests, the officers of the temple guard, and the elders who had come for him, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come with swords and clubs? Every day I was with you in the temple courts, and you did not lay a hand on me. But this is your hour when darkness reigns. So Satan has been waiting for this moment, and Jesus knows it. He says, okay, this is Satan's hour. This is when darkness reigns. But the word I want you to pay attention to is where it says Jesus was anguished. Or maybe your, your Bible says Jesus was in agony. That, that comes from the Greek word agon. Let me hear you say agon, church. Very good. So that word, it means uh, conflict or battle or fight. Okay, this story reads stylistically like Jesus is about to initiate battle. One of the really cool things about the Garden of Gethsemane is that they're pretty sure where Jesus was praying, he could see the city gates of Jerusalem. He could see the people coming to arrest him while he was praying in, in the garden. Jesus is, is in the garden preparing to enter the war that has been spoken about since the first tree. He's saying, okay, I will stand on the front lines taking our place against sin, death, and Satan. And this is spoken about all throughout the gospel. John 12, 31, Jesus says, Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. Jesus knows that the second tree, the tree he is going to, the cross, is where the battle for the salvation of the world will take place. So you might be asking yourself, okay, that's great, Chris. I've heard some of that at church before. Why are we talking about it the week before Christmas? It's because I think we need to remember Christmas differently this year. Because what was Bethlehem? Bethlehem was heaven invading earth. For most of the last 2,000 years, the incarnation of Jesus has been remembered as God coming into occupied enemy territory. Think about the songs we sing at Christmas time that reflect this. Steve talked about this a couple weeks ago. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from what? Satan's power when we were gone astray. Or joy to the world. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. This is what the Christmas story is. And this is important to get. Because I, I think sometimes the sentimentality of our day we love Hallmark Christmas movies. We like Christmas carols about universal love. Uh, 
But I, I like what the, the Catholic writer Flannery O'Connor said. She said, the problem with Southern fiction these days is everyone wants feel-good stories about reconciliation, but they've forgotten the cost of it. The world needs to remember the price of restoration. Church, the cross of Jesus Christ was the price of restoration. And I know, I know I'm talking to people who get it. All right, we know that evil has infiltrated this world and needs to be dealt with. We've seen addiction ruin and end lives. We've seen lust end marriages. We've seen greed end friendships. We've seen cancer take people we love. And Jesus had seen it too. Do you remember the story of Lazarus? Jesus' friend who dies and Jesus goes to the funeral? It's this real poignant moment in the Bible where it says the Son of God weeps. But then in, in John 11.38, it says that Jesus makes this sound. Some of your Bibles might say Jesus was deeply moved. But that word, it doesn't mean that Jesus sighed. It means that Jesus bellowed. He bellowed with rage. I like to think of uh, the, the lion in the Chronicles of Narnia roaring. What's he upset about? He's upset about the same things we are when we go to a funeral. He's upset about the same things we are when we visit a cancer ward or someone who's in hospice. He's upset about the same things we are when we go to a community that's been hit by a hurricane or, or the tornadoes that happened out west this week. Jesus is furious about death. He doesn't say, well, that's just the way of the world. Everyone dies. He doesn't say, get used to it. He's furious, and he goes to the second tree, to the cross, to do something about it. The Christmas story does not mean there's an absence of suffering, but what it means is God is with you in it. But more than that, the Christmas story means God is doing something about it. Because those things, cancer, addiction, lust, greed, natural disasters, there's nothing natural about them. Those things belong to death, and death does not belong. Christmas means God is actively doing something in the world to rid the world of suffering. And um, I am not a big fan of preachers who put personal anecdotes in their sermons, but I'm going to do it this morning. (laughs) A lot of people who know my family know that we had a baby who died in 2016. Her name was Charlie Rose. She um, only lived for 18 days before she died. And, um, and I'm trying to bring the mood down this morning, church, but I think about my daughter every day. And um, my family has this Christmas tree ornament that someone got us that November before our, our baby died, after she was born, but before she died. And there's nothing innately special about it. It just has my name, my, my wife's name, our two-year-old daughter at the time, and, and our, our, our baby's name on it. And every year at Christmas time, I get to put that ornament on the tree and I get to tell my girls who are eight, four, and two now how good God is even through that. But even more than that, I get to tell them stories about how good some of the families here at Bureau Christian were to my family during that time. But every year, every year around this time of year, there is an ache in my heart as I remember my daughter. And I know some of you feel it too because did you know the statistics say that the holidays are the most depressing time of year for Americans maybe maybe it's an empty chair at your table maybe it's a a relationship that can't be reconciled 
Maybe it's something completely different. Maybe you don't have enough money in your bank account to pay the bills and you're, you're afraid. Know this church. The first tree does not have the last word in our lives. It, is, it isn't even the main word in our lives. Because as far as it reaches into our life, we find that Jesus will reach further. And because of the cross, because of the second tree, look at how the Bible ends. Revelation 21 says heaven comes down to us. And there is a new world where God wipes away every tear and there is no more sorrow or suffering or pain. And, and look at what it says in Revelation 22. The end of the story God is telling sounds like this. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb, in the middle of its street. On either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. There will no longer be any curse. So 25 years ago in Mozambique, there was a terrible civil war. I'm sure a lot of you uh, remember that from, from the news. There was a terrible civil war and there was a ceasefire called, and it was real unsteady. Both sides of the Civil War just remained armed to the teeth, and uh, they weren't sure the ceasefire was going to last. And they, um, there was a Christian uh, missionary group called the Christian Relief Aid that went in to help. And they remembered what the prophet said about how God will take the weapons and beat them into plowshares. And they said, well, that's a, that's a good idea. So they said to both sides of the Civil War, they said, look, we know... You have tanks and AK-47s, but we also know that you're hungry. So they said, if you will turn in your weapons, we will trade you for farm equipment. And it actually worked. Both sides of the Civil War came, and they, they traded their, their tanks for tractors, and they traded their AK-47s for shovels. And then the Christian Relief Aid had a problem because they had all these weapons and they weren't violent. And they said, what are we supposed to do with all these? And they did something that I think is actually pretty brilliant. They took all those guns and they sculpted them into a tree. And the, the name of the tree is the Tree of Life. And it's still in the British Museum to this day. My brother Corey sent me a picture uh, of it a few years ago. Um, and I, th I think that's pretty neat. All because Christians got the idea of the way the world will one day be and they started acting accordingly. At the third tree, we know peace will come. The world is not always going to be this way. Cancer will be done. Depression and addiction will be things of the past. Death itself will die. As far as the curse is found, Jesus is going to reach further. But until then, we practice the Christian lifestyle as we live between the trees of the Bible. The way that Vero Christian Church lives its life in the midst of this busy and chaotic holiday season, it's not going to make sense to the rest of the world. The way that we love God, love people, and serve others, it's not going to make sense to the rest of the world, except for the fact that we have lives that aren't shaped by the first tree. We have lives that are shaped by the second tree, the cross, and by the third tree, the tree we know we're going to see one day, the tree of life. The gospel of Jesus calls us to transformation into the likeness of Christ so that we might continue the work he began when he loved us enough to come and live among us at Christmas. I hope you have a great holiday season. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the Vero Christian Church. 
I love the people here, God. I love how they love you, how they love others, and they serve others, God. And I just ask that as we, we come to this week leading to Christmas, God, you help us to remember what's important in life and help us to have lives that are, are not shaped by uh, the horrible things that happen in this world, God, but to remember what you did for us on the cross, God, and for us to live every day with that in mind. And we pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.